Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to this week's In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey here with Kim Bellotto. Hey, Kim, we've got a lot on tap today, but I do want to spend just a minute and let's talk about the new issue of Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine. Is it on the shelves? It is. It's already out. You can find it. Our uh, cover is actually the president and CEO of Intervest, uh, John Walker. Um Great article about John Walker. Pick up a copy where you can find it. If you can't find a hard copy, go to shalemag.com, fill out the little information form, and they folks can get a hard copy of it. Of course. All they got to do is just email us, and we'll be happy to mail them out a copy. Or if you don't want to wait for the mail to bring you a copy, you can read it online at www.shalemag.com. And while you're there, click on the Teak button, the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. It's a great organization. costs you nothing to join. Click on the button and join Teak, and uh, we need like-minded people that are supporting the oil and gas industry. So get signed up for Teak. Kim, lots going on this week. Uh, the big news of the week is the, the Paris Climate Agreement. That's right, That's Alvin. just blowing up, and uh, I, I think we need to hook up real quick with former chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission and shale energy expert, David Porter, and I think Fernando has him on the line. David, are you there? I'm here. Welcome, David. You know, uh, on Thursday... President Trump announced we were exiting the Paris Climate Agreement. This is very, very big news and also, in my humble opinion, absolutely necessary. So I wanted to bring you on the show and talk a little bit about how important the Paris Climate Agreement was for us to get out of it and uh, your thoughts on was this good or bad for the energy industry as well as the United States. Well, once again, President Trump totally amazed and astonished the Washington establishment by doing what he said he was going to do when he ran for president. I think they really thought they were going to change his mind, but he stuck with what he said. And I know that was one of the big reasons I supported him when he ran. And I think a lot of people in Texas and throughout the Southwest voted for him because of that. And I think it was very very positive that he pulled out. There, there were so many things uh, wrong with this this agreement. One of the po- one of the most important. Uh, tell me if you agree with this. Is that it had very little to do with climate and had everything to do with politics. And it was not in any way favorable to the United States. It was very favorable to large countries that are considered to be emerging. Uh, like China and India and Brazil, but yet they are actually the biggest polluters still in the world when you look at how much uh, pollution is going out there. So do you think it was good for us to pull out on, on just that basis, based on that? Yes, I do. You're, you're absolutely right. The U.S. had already started to abate a lot of the, a lot of the carbon and, and other things that the treaty addressed while many of these um, emerging nations and third world nations were had, had not done anything. So we'd already done a lot of the reduction while they're just starting. So for us to continue to do a percentage, same percentage decrease 
um, would would cost a whole lot more than it would would for these countries. And and quite honestly, so so many of the countries that have really signed on and were going gun ho for it, um, if they reduce their emissions to zero, would not hardly matter in the overall world. So they had no incentive. To, to do something good for the for the environment, but yet America was going to shell out about three trillion with a T dollars uh, in making this happen, this transformation. Um, and so that's just mind-boggling to me. Those numbers that uh, you know, I'm so happy that Trump pulled out of this because I think the American people just really do not understand how really lopsided this agreement was, and not not very beneficial to the climate and not certainly very, very beneficial to the United States. Uh, and that being said, I mean, I do want to disclose that I do care about the planet and I, I don't want a whole bunch of emails saying I don't care about the planet. And I am an environmentalist. I do care about the planet, but this was not really going to be the solution that we really need to look at. Alvin, I'm sure you can imagine when you have, uh, you know, other countries doing the opposite of what we're trying to do. That's not really a real climate change, in my opinion. David, what do you think? No, I agree with you. And I mean, Kim and Alvin, it's still, if something makes sense, it's good for the country. It's good for the environment. We can do it even if we're not part of the Paris Accord, if we decide it makes sense and we want to do it. But by not being part of this doesn't mean that uh, we're not going to do anything. Well, absolutely. And we've got, you know, producers all over the country that do it right each and every day and and are good stewards of the environment that, that they're drilling in. And, you know, I've, I've seen these, these oil and gas sites going in and i mean these guys come in and and they drill an oil well and and they put the pump jack in and when they leave that area every blade of grass that was there originally every natural piece of plant and wild is replaced It, it looks better than than when they started you know so we've got good stewards of our environment that are that are drilling our our natural resources you know i think to 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 just say something on that it isn't this this agreement was so uh it's so complicated to understand it's not just oil and gas it's methane it's uh mercury that they're polluting and when you look at china and you look at india and they're bringing on these coal plants building like india for instance one a week is coming online how do we handle that and that's not even in 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 oil and gas that's coal but just they're releasing this enormous enormous amount of toxins. We have to deal with it if we're going to, but we need to start with them because we're doing a good job here. But I want to move on. OPEC, Commissioner, let's uh, let's talk OPEC. Glad to. Uh, last time we talked, everybody was looking forward to the OPEC meeting. What was going to happen? They had the meeting last, and they had the meeting, and it's now happened. So. We, we can talk about what happened, and as everybody was projecting, OPEC extended their cuts for another nine months. And right now, um, the, the question is, are we going to see a sizable reduction in inventory over the next few weeks and months? That's what OPEC was uh, aiming at. They were trying to get the amount of oil in inventory reduced to its average over the last five years. Right now, it's roughly 300 million barrels over that amount. 
Um, so that that that's their kind of their target to get the inventory down to the average of the last five years. How do you think the market? I mean, do you think it's uh, doable? And how do you think the market is going to react? Or what are we seeing right now? How is the marketing reacting right now? And just disclosing this information or their announcement? Well, two or three days after it happened, the market went back down a little bit into the 40s, low mid upper to mid 40s, and then it turned right back and came back up into the low 50s. So it was um, pretty much a non-event as far as it, it, the market had expected this to happen. The, the real question going long-term is whether OPEC's going to be able to continue with the cuts. And I think some interesting facts, uh, fourth quarter 2016, OPEC production averaged 33.3 million barrels a day. First quarter 2017, OPEC production was 31.9 million barrels a day, which is a drop of 1.4 million barrels a day. So they actually came in pretty close to what they were projecting to do for the first quarter. And if they keep that up, the, the other two factors really that are going to impact, impact that inventory figure are how much U.S. shale production increases. Uh, as we talked last week, it's it's increasing. It's going to increase. It's probably not 1.34 million barrels in the next quarter or the next nine months, but it's going to increase. And the other important thing is whether worldwide demand for oil continues to increase. Uh, I think the consensus forecast is that we're going to that oil demand is increasing by about 1.3 million barrels per uh, year and, and per day for yearly demand is what it's increasing. And if we see those, so those are the factors, how much OPEC cuts, how much U.S. Uh, production increases and how much world demand increases. But, but the real proof of the concepts going to be watching those inventory figures over the next few weeks and months to see how see if they do come down like OPEC's projecting they will and and hoping that they will. Um, if they come down, I think we'll see oil prices continue to creep back up. If they don't come down, we may see oil prices um, come down a little bit. And another factor is that uh, President Trump has put his uh, suggestion out there that we sell roughly 300 million barrels out of the strategic oil reserve to um, reduce um, budget costs. So if, if that happens, that's going to have a impact on prices, at least while the sales going on, that, that will increase supply. Interesting. I, we, I believe we live certainly in very interesting times. That we do. Um, Commissioner, we have run out of time. Uh, former chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission and our shale energy expert, David Porter, thank you so much for joining us. Coming up in the next segment, we've got Tom Mulliken of the Mulliken Law Firm. And let me tell you, if this uh, if this Paris Climate Agreement uh, piques your interest at all, you're going to want to hang around and listen to this interview because uh, Tom Mulliken is sharp and he knows this Paris Climate Agreement, and that's what we're going to be talking about. And that starts in the next segment right here on In the Oil Patch. 
Empower Rural Texas and join the Texas Rural Challenge at the Waco Convention Center from June 29th through the 30th. Hosted by the UTSA Institute for Economic Development SBDC Rural Business Program, this is the largest state event of its kind. Engage in innovative presentations regarding small business leadership and community development or business plan competitions for Texas small business owners and college students. Join the challenge and register as an attendee, vendor, or sponsor at TexasRuralChallenge.org. PISA is the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association who is the unified voice for the energy industry's service, supply, and manufacturing organizations advocating and supporting continued achievements in job creation, technological innovation, and economic stability. PISA provides corporate membership opportunities in two categories, industry and allied. Over the years, a lot of amazing companies have become members of PISA, but don't take my word for it. Click on the directory on their website and see for yourself. In order to become a member of PISA, all you need to do is go to PESA.org, click on the membership tab, and fill out an application. Once again, that's PESA.org. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Welcome back to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto, and today we have a very special guest. Tom Mulligan of Mulligan Law Firm is actually an environmental attorney that is going to talk to us today as the expert on this Paris Climate Agreement. Tom, welcome to the show. Great to be back on the show and appreciate what you're doing to really get some good fact-based information out. Uh, I've been in the environmental arena now for a little more than three, th- 30 years, three decades. Uh, started off as a, uh, a staffer in the United States Senate on the uh, NOAA subcommittee, and then uh, as a staff member on the U.S. House, I uh, dealt with environmental issues. Been practicing in this area for a very long time, and, and my practice is, is applied environmentalism, and I my clients have ranged from some of the largest privately held companies in the world, uh, Fortune 100 companies, energy producers, large manufacturers, to all the way to the UN Development Program, UNDP, where I've done work. I uh, finished a, a major project last year down in um, Fiji on seabed mining. So I've, I've had a range of, of clients and occupy a fairly unique space where I'm really, my position has been, unless and until we combine economic sustainability with environmental sustainability, we'll never have the latter. People won't do what they can't afford to do. But the good news is we can protect the environment and our economy at the same time. It's just a more sophisticated conversation. So I'm excited to be back on the show and hopefully share some, some really, I believe, will be some unique perspectives on these, on these issues. Well, one of the hottest topics uh, right now uh, that is all over the airwaves is um, – Trump's uh, desire to exit the Paris Climate Agreement. And so uh, I know you're an expert in this area, and so it's timely to talk about this because I believe that depending on what side of uh, the belief that you are on, um, this is either going to be a really good thing for the United States or it's going to be not a good thing for the world if you and includes the United States. So I want to start off with just the Paris Agreement, because this has been something that has been in the works from the United Nation or with the United Nation has been working on this for more than two decades. And it was supposed to include about 190 countries. Uh, that being said, specifically with the United States in mind, uh, we were uh, the main uh, 
nation that was going to be involved with this. So I want to talk a little bit about first, tell me about the Paris Agreement and why why was it important to uh, exit this agreement for the United States? Let's start with that first. Great. Thanks, Kim. And I maybe I should have mentioned that I serve on the faculty as a research professor in the DACO program at Coastal Carolina University in the College of Science where I teach climate and also as an adjunct down in South America, University of San Francisco, Quito, where I teach a class on climate twice a year out in the Galapagos. So you're definitely an expert in this area. This isn't somebody just giving an opinion. This is, you are the expert in this area. Well, it's an area that I've been hired as an expert. I I served uh, last year as an expert for National Geographic, where I lectured on climate on one of their trips. So it is an area that I've been involved in for a very long time. And it requires some historical understanding of how we've gotten to the point that we have. In 1992, the U.N. assembled in Rio at the so-called Earth Summit, where they framed the U.N. Conference uh, Framework Conference on Climate Change. Um, and there they talked about bringing all the world's nations together. In 1997, they reconvened and they, they framed what would define the environmental movement with the Kyoto Protocol. And that instrument really defined if you were for the Kyoto Protocol, you were for the environment. If you were opposed to it, you were opposed to the environment. And really... That, that document began to, to lead this conversation more in, into politics than the environment. A lot of people don't fully understand that that document divided the world up into two different categories of countries. One, developed nations, and then the so-called undeveloped nations. And the developed nations were going to have certain reduction requirements, and the developing nations, were at, they had kind of voluntary reporting opportunities. It's widely reported that developing nations would be something like Ethiopia or Namibia. But little was known that in that group of developing nations were countries like China, which is now the number one polluter, not just the emitter of greenhouse gases, but polluter. Of the world. Uh, India. Right. In the world. India, Brazil. And what you saw there was that you began to see movement of operations, so-called hot operations, from countries that are highly developed and highly regulated. The countries, so-called developing nations, like those three that are in the top ten, that have scant environmental regulation and less enforcement. And so if you, if you look at what's happened since Kyoto, because Paris is founded on this fractured and failed uh, instrument. You, you see that it's no longer hypothetical. In, in 1997, for instance, global emissions were about 36 billion metric tons. Today, 20 years later, they're about 48 billion metric tons. Okay? But that's the number we're worried about. If the U.S. were to reduce, the global emissions were to, emissions were to go up, that would be a failure. That would not be a success. And when you look at it in that same length of time, this 20-year period of Kyoto, the U.S. in 97 was at 6.16 billion, and today it's just barely over 6.2. So by and large, static. Almost no change. China, on the other hand, was 3.9 billion and is now 11.4 billion. That's almost 8 billion metric ton increase. And so what I'm telling you is, it's, it's not just about the economy. 
if what brings us here is to talk about the environment. It's more about the politics. It's more about the politics and how it was kind of hijacked, this conversation on climate. Tom, we do have to take a real quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that will keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Amerijet's Global Cargo Network is ready to take care of all your shipping needs. With over 40 years of experience in the energy industry, we will help drive your excellent performance. Shipping general cargo, oversized, heavy lift, hazardous material, or mission-critical cargo? Amerijet is your full-service logistics provider, offering air charter, airport-to-airport, cross-border trucking, and express shipping. Amerijet will connect your company to over 30 major cities in the U.S. with more than 625 destinations worldwide. We provide global transportation solutions throughout the Americas, Mexico, the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. Your company will benefit from compliance with the highest safety and environmental standards, 24-7 security and surveillance, and online tracking. Let Amerijet's global team ensure the safe delivery of your cargo. For the best in customer satisfaction, Amerijet Houston is your commercial shipping partner. Call Amerijet at 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. Once again, that's 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. Welcome back to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Pilato. Today, we are with Tom Mulligan of the Mulligan Law Firm. And before the break, we were talking about China and how the climate, the Paris Climate Agreement has kind of been hijacked, if you will, by politics. So let's get back on the topic of China and how China uh, is not really uh, held as accountable as the United States per se, and yet they've actually alarmingly continued to pollute the planet even more than the United States or any other country. So I want to get back on that topic. Tell me a little bit about China. All right. Thanks, Ken. Let, let's talk about this, because what we've seen with this fractured and failed uh, document, Kyoto, that would lead to the Paris Agreement is that the world was divided up into developed and developing nations. Now you have China, the number one emitter of greenhouse gases and the number one polluter in the world, being largely exempt from these requirements. And, and so why does that make a difference? We, we only have one atmosphere. And when you we know that China is the largest emitter of ambient mercury in the world, for example, and one of the largest emitters of ambient mercury in the United States. We also know that China is one of the largest emitters of particulate matter and of sulfates in the western states. So that as we have moved regulated industry from the U.S. and other developed nations into China, we've not only seen this dramatic increase in greenhouse gases, We've seen a dramatic increase in other listed pollutants. And and so I tell you that this, this failed framework that the U.N. has set up that began with Kyoto is not only making matters dramatically worse with greenhouse gases, we are now choking as citizens of the United States. We're choking on the pollution of their success because we are sending smokestack and other operations into an utterly unregulated environment. And what we need, people, we have to have a global perspective to the extent that we want to reduce greenhouse gases. It is a failed approach to divide this up into halves. It's like going into a room, into a restaurant and saying, we're going to have no smoking on this half of the room. 
and thinking that the other half of the room isn't going to get the smoke. Exactly. It's like secondhand smoke. Give me a break. If somebody's smoking in the room with you, you are subjectable to being to, to, to getting cancer too, just by secondhand smokes. And and that was always the thing that bothered me, Tom, is how is it that other countries are really have very little accountability over climate and yet the United States is regulated so much and, and it always just made me feel uh, as just somebody that is not in the energy sector that as a person of the community, there's something wrong with this picture here. Well, the United States Constitution makes clear in Article 2 that, that for an international treaty to become effective, it has to have the advice and consent of the Senate. And I think that President Obama knew that he would not gain their support. People look at the Kyoto, the, the, the previous agreement, as if it was purely partisan. And yet the test vote that was held on the Senate floor failed 98 to nothing. It was not it was not a partisan vote. It was a national vote. It was an American vote. And and I believe that with this accord it would have it would have met the same um destiny. It would not have passed the United States Senate. And so you have you have constitutional issues uh in in, in for its enforcement and, and looking at it it's failed because of what it does to the environment, but it fails a constitutional scrutiny as well. I I really believe that President Trump has an opportunity to demonstrate real informed leadership with the environment. We, the climate has changed throughout all the time. And one of the mistakes that I think fellow conservatives make is, is be to say the climate's not changing. The climate's changed throughout all the, the time. Climate, but, but, Tom, the climate is always, always changing. It has always changed. It just... Uh, depends on in what way is it changing. We have to take a real quick break. You are listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hey, oil and gas friends. Alvin Bailey here. You know, every week, Kim and I work really hard to bring you up to speed with what's going on out here in the Texas oil patch. I also want to take just a minute to talk to you about your fleet needs. Whether you have one truck or 1,000 trucks in your fleet, I can help you. Call me when you have a minute, and let's talk trucks. Did you know that the Kalig Auto Group offers pickup and delivery right from our service departments? And I'll bring the dealership right to your desk. You don't need to drop what you're doing and come waste hours and hours of your valuable time haggling over pennies. I have a very transparent process with a simple pricing formula that ensures you're always going to get a very competitive price and the very best service available in the industry. So call me today, area code 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656, and let's talk. The Kalig Auto Group has Ford and Ram trucks for your heavy-duty needs. We also carry Mazda, Subaru, Volkswagen, Jeep, even Lincoln and Lexus for your luxury needs, and we have an Audi store coming soon. So whether you need work trucks for your day-to-day -day business or a new Lincoln or Lexus for you personally, Call me. My cell number is 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656. Or you can always email me, abailey at kaligauto.com. That's abailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y, at kalig, K-A-H-L-I-G, auto, A-U-T-O, dot com. I look forward to seeing you down the road. Welcome back to End the All Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today's guest, Tom Mulligan with the Mulligan Law Firm. Tom, before the break, we were talking about how the, 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 the environment is always forever changing. And somehow or another, uh, this, this Paris Climate Agreement, how is this going to change the United States' stance and the environment? I believe that because of the 
failed nature of Kyoto and its successor agreements like Paris, there's a there's a chance that the environment will actually benefit by us withdrawing participation because you may begin to see an end to manufacturing and other regulated industry moving from developed nations to undeveloped. And we've talked about the increase in listed pollutants and about the U.S. choking on the pollution of China's success, mercury, sulfates, particulate matter. Where we have, where there's an opportunity for leadership in, in this country is, is where we've seen market-based approaches to the environment. We, we look at this, many of the same people that, that speak vociferously about reducing greenhouse gases don't know what those gases are. So just very quickly, carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide, methane, perfluorocarbon, hydrofluorocarbon, sulfur hexafluoride. And then we go to sectors and sources. How do we find, like, as an example, methane here in the United States? Much of that's coming off of solid waste landfill. We have the technology to cap and extract and put that methane on our grid. What are those opportunities that we can find economic and environmental sustainability together? Because where we find those things, we see real progress. Why, have, why would you think that we've stayed basically flatline on greenhouse gases while China has, has tripled its greenhouse gases? What we've seen is through things like technology advances like hydraulic fracturing, where we put more natural gas into our grid. Where we've seen market-based advances, we've seen environmental protection. And where you go around the world, and I've led expeditions to every continent, where you see robust economies, you also see the greatest environmental protection. What we've done through these agreements is exactly counterintuitive. We have moved manufacturing from areas where there's enforced environmental standards to where they're not. We've seen it go to China, Vietnam, Cambodia, where there are real challenges with the environment. That's not good for our economy, and it's not good for our global environment. We need an informed conversation on this. So I, I feel very strongly taking a step back from Paris, and if we want to negotiate an, an international agreement, negotiate one where all the world's countries are parties to it, not half the world are exempted from it. And I know, I know I've made that point, but I want to make clear that in 1997, when Kyoto was first framed, it eliminated 48% of the world's emissions from capturing under its reduction. In other words, those so-called developing nations in 1997 were 48% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. You cannot reduce global emissions where half the world is written out. That's right. That's right. And that's what that's what is so amazing about this. And yet you see uh, in I just see this from the Democratic Party and the media just covering that this is a great thing and that, you know, uh, the environment is important. Well, you know, I think that all of us in the world find the environment to be important. It doesn't matter if you're an R or a D, you're a human being, you have children, family, and everybody wants a good, safe environment. But it just makes no sense when other countries are still being allowed to pollute. Uh, there is no sincere desire to fix or correct and everybody get on the same page. It's more of this is a political thing going on here of controlling uh, a specific 
uh, either RRD. And so what I want to talk about are a specific party. I, I really want to talk about how um, India, well, first of all, China has been building these uh, coal-fired plants to the tune of one, pretty much one about every week. And then you've got India making an announcement that they are going to bring online 175 new coal-fired power plants. So tell me how this works. If they're in this Paris agreement to start watching the environment and, and regulating it and, and let's start reducing these greenhouse gases and, and taking care of the environment, how do you bring on all of these coal power plants um, and as many as they are doing and then yet it seems like other countries like the United States are having to, to pull back and pull back and pull back. Uh, and it goes back to the argument you were making just a few minutes ago, which is the United States is being regulated to stop producing, which takes us into being potentially uh, not as strong as a country, while other countries are going to continue to do exactly what they have always done in the past and continue to build their manufacturing and their global presence, but yet they don't have to change anything. And is this the reason why Trump is pulling out of this Paris Agreement? Because it is not, it's it's a farce. It, it, it's, it's not beneficial. It's actually beneficial for other countries and not for the United States. What do you say to that, Tom? It's not beneficial to our economy, if not beneficial to the environment either. When we talk about bifurcated approach, you mentioned India and China. You might throw Brazil in. Each of those three countries were non-NX1. Those were developing nations. They're not going to be bound by the same type of emission reduction requirements. You follow what I'm saying? What you said, you know, they're not going to have to meet those same requirements. And so, and so then we're not really serious about, as a planet, getting all of these developing countries along with the developed countries all on the same page. And until that happens, I do kind of understand where Trump is going. We need to pull back. This was a bad deal. This was a poor, poor deal for the United States. It doesn't benefit us. Let's get back to the table and talk about something that really does. If we need to talk about it, let's talk about it, and let's get all the countries involved in it. And with that, Tom, we do have to take a real quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Great companies take great care of their employees. Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired to the time they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, Trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your employees' health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 1-866-334-2485. Again, that's 1-866-334-2485. Have you heard of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, the largest state association in the country? 87 years strong serving independents, and it's right here in Texas. Offices in Houston, Austin, and Wichita Falls. Over 3,000 members of all ages like you who are in the oil and gas industry or who have family members and friends who are. Company members range from one employee to large independents. Lobbying, networking events, and saving you money. For a membership tailored just to fit your budget, contact Sandy Simon at... S-A-N-D-I-S at 
TexasAlliance.org or call 281-997-7223. That's 281-997-7223. Oilfield Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. Hey, 2016 is a great time to grow your business, and there is no time like the present to improve the awareness of your brand. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we are back. You are listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. Our guest today, Tom Mulligan with Mulligan Law Firm. Tom, before the break, we were still continuing to talk about these other countries um, that are considered and labeled developing, and yet this Paris Climate Agreement kind of excludes their ability to to, uh, watch the environment or control what they're putting out into uh, the world or our planet. I want to get back on, I want to go to another topic, which is the methane rule and greenhouse gas, so that way we all understand there is some discussion on what about this rule and a ruling that came out. So I'll let you talk on that topic. Tell us about the methane rule. What we've seen over the last eight years is the manifestation of people who really believe that protecting the environment meant closing down or sharply limiting energy production in this country and manufacturing in this country. And they used every tool available to them to, in order to impact the ability to be profitable. One of the areas that's recently been looked at in Congress and was going to be, through congressional action, was going to be repealed was so-called methane rule that was promulgated by the Bureau of Land Management. It was going to eliminate, effectively eliminate methane flaring or drilling on federal land. It was really an attack on the industry. And I think this gets to the broader issue, Kim, that people you, – you, you just have to understand that climate and greenhouse gases are first a global issue. And then what happens is liberals talk about greenhouse gas emissions as if all the greenhouse gases that are emitted are from human sources or what they would refer to as anthropogenic interference. Human release anthropogenic interference is less than 6%, Okay. And then the United States is a small percentage of that, and then methane is a small percentage of that, and then oil and gas is a small percentage of that, which is released, and then that on federal land is small. And so by the time you get around and looking at what impact that would have in terms of impacting the environment, that it's suggesting that it's being promulgated to protect, it's, it's barely a scintilla 
On the other hand, the impact that it has on, on industry and on independents and others that are struggling to survive in this global marketplace, it's profound. And I, I think that what we have to have as conservatives is people who can carefully articulate issues dealing with these gases in a world where all of the scientific participation appears to be left of center. You follow, do you follow what I'm saying? Yes. I, it's all I, lined I up. It, in a, it's <laughs> No, it's left to center, meaning it is these uh, liberal people who um, have the desire to regulate oil and gas out of out of its existence without really having any real uh, because I and I say fact-based scientific data because just as many scientists say it's real, just as many scientists say it's not real. If we were to go through this, what would be the the, the ramifications for the United States? What were we looking at? We we're, we're going to be looking at to the in order to have a solid manufacturing, the backbone of the U.S. economy, we have to have abundant, affordable, and safe energy. To the extent that we increase the cost of energy production. By virtue of taxes or more unnecessary regulation, we we deal negatively with our ability to keep manufacturing. So we're going to deal with that. Annually, we spend two, nearly $200 billion on foreign sources of fuel, a percentage of which goes directly to the countries that we're fighting. So we now we've moved from economic security into national security. We, we in fact, in some areas of the world, are funding opponents of our national security. The cost to deal with this issue, this issue wrong are, are manifest. They're large and they're across the boards. They, they will mischaracterize Paris as a global agreement. It's not a glo- global agreement if, if all countries aren't treated the same. And that's the reason why I go back to that which started this conversation with Kyoto, and they are trying to build a house on a defective foundation. It, it will be better for the global environment if they want a global agreement, they need to negotiate a truly global agreement that treats each nation the same. And they could do that because China, these developing nations, are the ones that are running global greenhouse gas emissions at an alarming rate. I mentioned to you from 1997 to 2017, these numbers have increased from $36 billion to now almost $48 billion. Those increases have largely come from developing nations. That's right, right? Tom. That's right. So it's, it's a bad agreement. It, to the extent we want one, let's, let's negotiate one, and let's quit mischaracterizing what we have in front of us. It's, it's bad agreement, and it's bad process. Constitutionally defective. I couldn't agree with you more, Tom, but with that, we are going to have to close the show. Tom, you know, since President Trump has announced that we are pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement, I look forward to having you back on as uh, the media spins it. We're here to really get the scoop and tell our listeners what the real truth is. So thank you for being a guest on the show. We look forward to having you back. But before you go, if one of our listeners want to get a hold of you to ask more information about the Paris Climate Control uh, deal, where can they contact you? TomMulliken.com. That's T-O-M-M-U-L-L-I-K-I-N.com. TomMulliken.com at the Mulliken Law Firm. Or they can call me directly on my mobile. So blow it up if you're listening to this and you don't agree. 803-425-7771. Thanks so much. Enjoyed being with you. Thanks, Tom, for being a guest on our show today. And congratulations because you are the topic of today's trivia. 
Hey, be the first person to email the correct answer to trivia at radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com, and you'll win yourself a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, an amazing Brazilian steakhouse. Today's trivia question is, today's guest, Tom, what firm does he work for? Again, today's guest, Tom, what firm does he work for? Remember... Be the first person to email the correct answer to radio at shellmag.com and you will win a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao Brazilian Steakhouse. Well, that's all the time we have for this show. Be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch radio show and follow us on Twitter at shellmag. That's going to be a wrap for another great show. We look forward to seeing you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.